Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, this is Ernie Hudson, and you're listening to Canned Air Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And we've got a great show for you today. We got to talk to some pretty amazing people. The co-hosts from the Media Path podcast. Our first guest was a weather reporter for KNBC in Los Angeles for 39 years. Won five local Emmys. Also a stand-up comedian who did uh, stand-up for icons, including Ray Charles and Debbie Reynolds. And uh, over his career, made eight appearances on uh, Tonight Show with Jay Leno and Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy. We welcome five-time Emmy Award-winning stand-up comedian, uh, NBC weathercaster, and the co-host of Media Path podcast, Fritz Coleman. And also joining us is the co-founder of Premier Radio Network, which is the division of iHeartMedia, and has been uh, creating radio content and podcasting since 2005. Ground level of podcast. Freaking pioneer up, up in here. No doubt. That's the perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect word. Uh, she has her own podcast, too, called uh, Things I Found Online, which is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. She's a documentarian who uh, made one documentary in particular that we talk about in our mm-hmm. conversation that I can't wait to watch called Family Band, The Cow Sill Story. And The Cow Sill is a uh, family band that was the inspiration to the Partridge family. But uh, the point of this documentary is showing that the real, the real life family band wasn't like all. Once you shine that light on there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was not good things happening behind the scenes. So I can't wait to uh, watch that and find out more. Uh, we welcome writer, director, producer, filmmaker, author, photographer, comedian, podcaster, musician, songwriter, teacher. And co-host of the Media Path podcast, Louise Palanker, to the show. Take a breath after that, Jeremy. Geez. <laughs> I know. I got a little white things. I thought I was going to pass out for a minute. But hey, you know what? You got to list a lot of these things because, you know, people got to know who these people yeah. are if they yeah. don't already. I mean, there's a good chance that some of our listeners already know Fritz or Louise, if not both. So we had a great conversation with them. Cannot wait for you guys to check that out. But before we do, you know we have to tell you to find us on Twitter at CandairPod, on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at CandairPodcast, and uh, our website, CandairPodcast.com, where there's two ways you can support our show. There's a link to get merch, uh, T-shirts, mugs, hats, stickers, all kinds of stuff with the Candair logo on it. And uh, Candare-inspired artwork that's uh, made to look like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle artwork or Simpsons artwork or Star Wars. Vintage all kinds of 80s stuff. advertising exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool stuff uh, on there. It, made by Joshua Bellis, who's been uh, helping out with this show. He's a part of the show. He's the fourth Candare member. He's the Candare fashionista. That he is. And he, he's damn good at what he does. So <laughs> check that out. We've got a pin, uh, pinned post on our Instagram that shows all of the artwork he's made for us. So check that out. And if uh, getting merchandise isn't your bag, if you want extra content, patreon.com forward slash pod, or just click the Patreon uh, button on our website, where for 5 to $10 a month gets you access to the Candare Patreon pod, uh, on top of many other projects we've done over the years, a show called The Comic Vault, which we need to do some new episodes on that yes, one. Yes, we do. The Traumatic episode, an episode where we got to sit down and talk with someone we admired, and it went horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. So we put that on Patreon with commentary. I think it turned out pretty good, though I will never listen to it again. (laughs) I wasn't there, but it was hearing it secondhand was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, We did some radio theater things. There's all kinds of stuff on there to check out. So uh, once the director's cut of Candare. Come on. There it is. There it is. Patreon.com forward slash Candare pod. Randy. 
And if you uh, aren't able to support us on Patreon, no matter how you're listening to us, uh, leave a like, leave a review. Like, it helps so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, we got to shout out uh, evergreenpodcast.com, the network we're so happy to be a part of. And we are very quickly coming up on episode 500, our Mm -hmm. 10th year anniversary. And, uh, you know, even if you've just started listening or if you've been listening back to the the days of ask dave please let us know your favorite moments standout moments the stupid shit i've said you know just let us know what you like and we'll uh, read it on on the air when we're uh, recording that that would be so much appreciated we'd love to know what your guys's favorite moments are because we all know what ours are and i think sometimes we know what each other's are but uh to know we what know the you're listeners listening. are we yeah know you're we listening. can see your numbers we know you're downloading <laughs> so come on just type a few things and send it to us. We'll do all the work. We'll find the clip. Just tell us what you remember and we'll go dig. Well, maybe not. Find the clip. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and we'll make Randy go digging. There we are. <laughs> and I think that's it. Yeah, I think, I right? Mean, yeah, let's hop into this. Let's hop right into our conversation with Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanker. We are now being joined by the co-hosts of the Media Path podcast. We welcome Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanker to the show. Thank you guys so much for being here. This is incredible. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. What city are you in? We're in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, nice. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> it's okay. It works. You know, I have friends that went to the school there, and uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was beautiful. Yeah, it has its moments, I I will say, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've been uh, doing a lot of research on you guys, and uh, you Uh both have a lot of cool things I want to talk to you guys about before we get to the Media Path podcast, if that's cool. Just kind of introduce the people to you a little bit. Let's start with Fritz. You know, I see that you were a comedian and disc jockey at WBEN and uh, WKBW in Buffalo, New York. And uh, left in the 80s to pursue, or left in 1980, rather, to pursue stand-up comedy. What was it that initially uh, got you interested in radio? Well, I worked for Armed Forces Radio and Television when I was in the Navy. I was in the Navy for four years. And I'd always sort of secretly wanted to do radio, but I didn't have the guts to try it. But when I went in the Navy, uh, they offered me this opportunity that I couldn't pass up. So for three and a half years, I did radio shows and TV news and entertainment programming on the USS John F. Kennedy in Norfolk, Virginia. And we went to Europe for two 10-month cruises, cruises. And I learned the business and I became smitten by it. And the day after I got discharged from the Navy, uh, I got a job at a Philadelphia radio station. And then for the following 15 years, I worked at a bunch of stations, Syracuse, New York, and Philadelphia, and Buffalo, New York. And uh, I did DJ shows. I was a production director, a music director. I occasionally did a talk show, radio talk show. So I just loved radio. And right. then I became smitten with stand-up because while I was in while I was in radio in Buffalo, I, I was doing stand-up and got smitten by that and came out to California and pursued that. Man. That's so awesome. I admire the uh, gumption that would take because I, I mean, I would be so afraid to just uproot, go across the country and try my hand at something new. But you've already had been dabbling in uh, stand up, I guess, you, you know, sounded on the radio. exactly like my that's exactly what my father said to me. He said, oh, <laughs> oh, God, you're going to give up a high paying job in radio. He never even heard me do stand up to go be a comedian in Los Angeles. What is wrong with you? You know, he was a depression guy. So giving up paid employment was ridiculous. Right. I said, I just have to try it. But then after I got out here, uh, he supported it. So, man, I don't mean to sound like your father. I hope that's <laughs> like, <I think. laughs> no, no. You were much more friendly about it than he was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you got out to uh, California, what were some of the first things you did to get into the you know, into stand-up. Where were you? Were you? Did you have okay, a residency well, ba- anywhere? My, my background. Doing? My background for stand-up was when I was in Buffalo. We, I was in radio in an era when, when you were a disc jockey, you always got invited to host evenings at clubs, like spin records or just MC a wet T-shirt contest or some other sordid entertainment. And I got a job hosting at a jazz club in wow. uh, Buffalo called the Trafamador Cafe, which is a very famous uh, jazz room, and. Um, I was the I was the host, and in jazz clubs, uh, jazz musicians are on their own clock. So even though the show was advertised to start at eight o'clock, if the jazz musicians weren't 
sort of in tune with the cosmos by eight. They may not go on till eight fifteen or eight twenty, but the owner of the club started the show at eight o'clock because people were paying a two drink minimum and a cover charge, and he wanted something to happen at eight o'clock. So purely as a defense mechanism, I began to write material for myself in order to fill that time between eight o'clock and whenever the jazz band decided to go on. And I just filled this block of material. I eventually had five minutes and then I had 10 minutes. And after I had 10 minutes of material, I said, well, I'm certainly ready for the big leagues now. I'll move <laughs> up to California. I got 10 whole minutes of material, marginal material at best. And I came out here in 1980 and I lived on the floor of my friend's apartment in a sleeping bag for a week until I got established. The first day I got to California, I'd never been to LA before, but you had to come here to do comedy because the comedy store at the time on mm. Sunset Boulevard was the mecca of stand-up. All the comics on TV, Jay Leno and, and David Letterman were all sort of mentioning those clubs. And that was the place you had to go. You know, if you build it, they will come kind of a thing. Right. So I came out the first night I got to town, I dropped off my luggage and went to the comedy store as a patron and sat in the comedy store and on stage that night were Jimmy J.J. Walker, Billy Crystal, uh, Gary Shandling was preparing his first Tonight Show, wow. and, and uh, a, a closing act by the name of Charles Fleischer, which didn't become famous as a comic, but he was the voice of Roger Rabbit, and he was a brilliant stand-up comedian. I mean, wow. almost on the par with Robin Williams, but even spacier, right? So I was so deflated when I watched this group of comedians that were so good and they blew the roof out the comedy store. I said, Oh my God, what the hell am I doing here? I am so woefully underprepared to be here. I got my stupid 10 minutes of material about Kmart and snow tires and all <laughs> stupid stuff that nobody cared about. I said, well, I'm just going to stay till I run out of money. And then I'll go back with my tail between my legs and apologize to my family for, you know, the goodbye cake and all that. And, but I just <laughs> stayed out here and began to do, uh, um, uh, open mic nights, which Wheezy did too at the comedy store, until I worked my way up to being a paid uh, performer. To th this this story will end in five or ten minutes. Just give me. No, a second. I, hey, I, I love every you're minute fine. of it. No, but but so I'm working at the comedy store. I became a paid regular, which Wheezy was too, where you would call up on Monday or Tuesday, and they would give you two or three assigned spots for the week. And on a Friday night, my friend that worked at NBC in the news brought his boss and his wife to come and see me do a show at the comedy store. And in that show, uh, I talked about having done the weather in the Navy, working for Armed Forces Television, but not knowing anything about the weather. But the Navy didn't seem to care that I didn't know anything about the weather. Just get up there and fill the two and a half minutes and don't use profanity and shine your shoes. That's all I cared about. <laughs> so I told an anecdote about it. After the show, I, my friend brings his boss, this news director from NBC4 in Los Angeles, to meet me. And the guy, this is a true story. A lot of people don't believe it, but it's true. The guy says, uh, you know, I really enjoyed your show. Do you have any desire to come to Channel 4 and do some vacation relief weather forecasting for me? I have a main weatherman that hasn't had a, hasn't had a, a, a vacation in a year. I need some help on weekends. Would you be interested in coming and, and auditioning to be the weatherman at Channel 4? And I said, I, I think I mentioned that I don't know anything about weather. He said, fantastic. There's no weather in California. This will work out great. <laughs> and so uh, I, I auditioned. I got the job. Uh, and two years later, I was bumped up to the main weather job and retired just shy of my 40th anniversary at NBC. So honestly, God, it was the greatest stroke of show business luck. And uh, it all started with being a comedian. Real meteorologists hate that story. Uh, but it's a true, it's a true story. Anyway, that's my whole life. Now you can talk to Wheezy. No, no. Oh, man. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I watched your retirement video, and I, you had said somewhere in there that you had never set out to be a weather reporter. And then you no. have this 39-year-long career at NBC that, you know, based on what I saw on the videos on your website, it looked like you had a great time working for them, became a staple of the community, if not uh, even more so than that. I, honest to God, the older I get, the luckier I understand I was. It was just a great stroke of luck. I was able to give my children a, uh, uh, you know, a stable living. You know, when I started working, I was no at the comedy store. I was no higher than what you would call a feature act, which would be a middle act. 
you mm-hmm. know, you have the headliner, who's the person who's had TV exposure, and you have the opening act, and then the feature act is the middle act, and they would get about 20 minutes at comedy clubs. And if you went on the road and did that, you'd make maybe five or $600 a week for six nights, often have to pay for your own transportation. And it was impossible to save any money. And I had kids. I had two children. So um, I, I, I was so very thankful to have this job. I still performed. I did two or three shows a week, even when I was doing the weather. And uh, just uh, that's how it happened. And uh, I've been very lucky. And now I don't have to do it anymore. And I'm even luckier. <laughs> I, since I retired, I have never said the word atmospheric river once. <laughs> <laughs> And you have uh, gotten back into stand-up from what I've seen. There's a special right. on Tubi called Unassisted Living that you've done. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. I do a series of shows that I call, I just made this title up. I don't know if there really is a title for it, but uh, Single Topic Monologues, where I pick a topic and I write a show about it. The first one I did was called It's Me, Dad, which was about me being honest with my children about all my various flaws and everything. And that show went on public television in Los Angeles and aired on Father's Day for several years in a row. That was my first one. Then I did one about divorce called uh, The Reception, which Wheezy was the producer of, uh, Louise. And then I did one about the uh, evening news called Tonight at 11. And then I did one which was my first show about being old called Defying Gravity. And this is the second one about (laughs) being of a certain age. We, We... we were, you know, there are bazillions of stand-up specials on Netflix and Amazon Prime now, mm-hmm. mainly targeted to a younger demographic. And there was really no material sort of program toward people of a certain age, like boomers or slightly older or slightly younger. Sure. And I work relatively clean. It was a discipline I had to get into when I was just first starting out. And I know a lot of people my age or even older that love stand-up, but, you know, really raw material or raw language just kind of shuts them down. Mm -hmm. My audience has never been that way. So we went to Tubi and said, here's a clean hour that we have for you, but it's targeted at people of a certain age, which turns out uh, to be their demographic too. And so they liked it. And so it's been up for a couple of weeks and we're having a great time with it. Oh, wow. It's that new. Very good. We'll have to put links on. I think I believe you can watch it on your website too, Fritz Coleman Comedy. Right. That's the first thing on the website. Uh, you can click right to it. Perfect. Perfect. Now, Louise, you have some questions coming your way too, but I must ask first: it, it, Am I allowed to call you Wheezy, or is that for only people on the in the inn? <laughs> no, you, you're in, buddy. You can call me Wheezy. <laughs> Okay, Wheezy. Uh, let's let's jump over to you. Uh, the co-founder of Premier Radio Networks, which is now a division of iHeart Radio or iHeart Media, and for years have produced tons of radio and produced podcasts since 2005, which I can't wait to pick your brain about. But first, I'm going to ask you the same thing I uh, first asked Fritz. What got you into radio initially? I think it was the uh, reel-to-reel tape recorder that I received <laughs> as a gift at, uh as an eight-year-old, and began uh, reenacting comic books with special effects, like wow. me splashing water. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we were just, I always had whatever it was you could get, whether it was a Polaroid land camera or a Super 8 or whatever you could get your hands on. I was not a girl that was interested in clothes or makeup. I wanted gadgets. I wanted to be creative. And I, you know, I'm not very good at anything. So, you know, so what you, that. well, yeah, but like what you can do is just kind of make things and uh, just sort of show them to your friends and, you know, and keep going. So I, I grew up in suburban Buffalo there, you know, no one ever told me that I had a pleasant singing voice. You know, I didn't, <laughs> there was no role for me in show business that I was aware of. Cause you know, everyone that came out on Mike Douglas or on the tonight show was delightful. Like, Oh, I'm going to have to figure out how to be delightful. Okay. <laughs> <Let's see>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I want, you know, but I wanted to be friends with Burt Reynolds, you know, like that right. was, that was aspirational, like the cool kids, you know, that was gee, Joan Rivers and, you know, Tony Fields and Carol Burnett. Those, those were the women that I wanted to be like. So, you know, I, after I graduated college, I came out and, and what I knew to be the entry level position was a page, a studio page. Okay. That is the person 
who stands on the stairs with Johnny Carson and hands a card to the the player of Stump the Band. And <laughs> I thought, like, if I can land that job, like, I am in. And and so that's that's how I kind of carved my way into into show business. That's incredible. Now, now, do you still have any of the recordings or videos that you made uh, growing up? Yes, they're very sad. They're tragic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we did my, you know, my cousin Lois, I will say, does a really, really excellent Italian accent. I don't know why the mean girl in the comic books was Italian, but, you know, in Lois's portrayal, you know, and we, my sister and I, we did New York accents and British accents and you know, we, I guess we thought we were funny. Uh, we Joanne and I created a, a music duo called the Stuffa Sisters, and the the joke was that they they I'm sang not. off key, which, <laughs> but they tried to sing harmony, and they would and their their uh, repertoire in, included you know five little ducklings and the itsy bitsy spider, and you know this was ahead of the Sweeney Sisters. We were we were a groundbreaking comedy <laughs> act at eight and ten. But yes, I do have some of them. Some of them are cassette tapes and I have kind of like made digital files of them and played them for my mom and my siblings. And that's as far as they need to go. (laughs) (laughs) I had so many tapes uh, from my Mm -hmm. growing up because I I kept, I used to, I toted a little uh, cassette recorder with me everywhere and like record, I did. And I just record myself singing uh, things off the television, off the radio, just a hodgepodge of stuff. Uh, and I, you know, we, as when we were kids, we moved several times and somewhere in moving, all those tapes were lost. So I'm oh. so jealous of anyone who still has hold of that material. That's awesome. Yeah. I have some of it. Sometimes it'll go from my sister, Amy and I singing, you know, the cats in the cradle to suddenly that cutting off and Bobby Darren singing Mac the knife on, <laughs> on the tonight show. You know, it, it was like, whatever yeah, yeah. you, you, that's what's so funny about those tapes is like whatever Distilled was still pop pop culture. <laughs> like that would make a funny show if it was just like a cassette tape of some 12-year-old in 1972, you know. It really would. I would listen to it. Listen to it a bit, stop, commentate on it. That yeah, I would listen to <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Man. Now I need to ask you about uh podcasting since 2005. Now we've been doing this since 2013 and uh we we feel like we got in fairly early but holy hell 2005 that's ground level uh like ground zero. Can you talk about what podcasting then looks like, you know, against podcasting now? Well, how much has the medium changed? What was it like in 2005? Because in like 2013, whenever we told people, yeah, we have a podcast, it was still like very much, what the hell is a podcast? <laughs> it was, we still it had was... to do that because we have an older audience. We had to do a primer. Yeah. When we first started out, we had to do an instructional tape. Okay, old people, here's how you do it. You got <laughs> your phone. Right, right. But a lot, we... of our, a lot of our audience hasn't figured out how to play the instructional tape. So <laughs> we're at a bit of a log jam. We're working our way through it. But yeah. We still, we'll still see on Facebook somebody saying, well, I'm not very technological, but this sounds like an interesting show. You know, you can click on the YouTube link. It it will play, I promise you. Or wait till your grandson comes home from college. But it's not as hard as people think it is. But back then, it was pretty much like putting on a show that nobody, that you knew nobody was going to hear and there was there was freedom in that and my my partner laura swisher hung out with a lot of cool kids who were on the cutting edge of early adopting and so we even had someone i'd never met before who was engineering it from where he lived in a different city it was a guy named matt hartley and he was the one who made wheezy and the swish happen so she had kind of a fan base, uh, Laura Swisher, because she worked at Tech TV. See mm. what I mean? Like she knew the cool kids that understood technology. Right. So, and she's gorgeous. So they were they were all in love with her. So that was that, that was Wheezy and the Swish. So we were kind of we felt like you know just Judy and Mickey putting on a show in the barn, and it didn't matter who heard it. We we wanted to get we we liked the freedom of it. We liked the idea that technology had gotten to that place and as it was for 
us in radio with podcasting as it was for filmmakers, uh, as it was for musicians, where all of a sudden you could get this software on your computer, A, mm -hmm. so that you could create it, and B, the internet had got to the point where we could share it. So right. that was a critical year around 2005, where we all became a part of the conversation in this kind of like uh, content infinity loop that we that we've created, and that that was very exciting to me. How exactly were you guys pushing your media out? Because I can't imagine there were a lot of hosting uh, websites out there. Uh, 2000. When did YouTube come along? Was that 2003? It was around the same time. So, so what was your primary outlet for your content at the time? I think we were on a website called something or other. Monkeypox. Uh, what was it? Monkeypox or something? Nah, it was. Uh, I can't remember. I, there was a there was a website for people that were sharing audio content. Okay. And okay. like, I can't remember the name of it. Someone listening to you guys, I'm sure, knows it. And also, we, you know, Apple. You could post on your probably on MySpace and places like that oh, to go yeah. to this link at Apple because Apple Podcasts was pretty new. They were they were in there at the beginning, but there was like this like blog post or something. There were different like little hubs where you could either go live. I remember on one of them you could go live audio. There was wow. no video. There was no video available live at that time. But audio was kind of, it you know, it required so much less bandwidth that folks were streaming audio way ahead of video content. So mm. that's why podcasting, I think, is maybe a, a year or two ahead of even a lot of YouTube content because of it requiring, you know, less less of a bandwidth or like people with dial-up connections and, you know, right, could still right. get it. But yeah, I I think it was one of those things where, Folks who were looking for it knew where to find it. Gotcha. Right. I remember the first time I heard of a podcast, and it was years after that. It I had to have it explained to me a few different times before it truly sunk in. It was kind of like Netflix for audio, you know? But uh, mm -hmm. once I found out about the medium and got my head around it, then I was like, okay, I've got to get involved with that. It's it was yeah. so, so cool, you know, because it was something I'd always wanted to do. But like you said, you know, the internet gave us all these tools like right on our computer. You're not reliant on a uh, production company or a studio to, you know, give you a chance or you don't and you don't have someone over your shoulder saying you can or can't do that. It's just it's so much fun. <laughs> I came into it uh, way later because uh, Weezy and I have been friends for 35 years. She produced uh, two of my one person shows and we always had fun as friends because we seem to have similar tastes in books and movies and all those things. And we thought, why not make uh, something which is like a continuation of the conversations we have every day and invite the audience in to hear it. The problem was I was under contract with NBC and couldn't do external media at that point. Oh. And the second I retired, she invited me to come and do the podcast. And so uh, we've just been having a blast. And so, you know, we're up to 150 episodes and uh, in a couple of years into it and having a good time. She, I, I, I thank God. She had the experience and just I kind of drafted on her momentum. That's so cool. And you guys have a great show. I've just started listening to it and um, it's right up my alley. I got to check out uh, the Marion Ross episode a little bit. There was another one where you guys were talking about Motown records. That was entertaining as hell. And I love how you guys just jump right in. I, th you know, it made me th kind of think maybe we need to reformat our show a little bit because we so? talk. <laughs> sometimes we'll sit there and just ramble for like five minutes before we just get to the point. And you guys just yeah, jump right in. People like that, though, because yeah, they, they think like they're that. overhearing a private conversation conversation, which is really, for most podcasts, the draw. People feel like you're inviting them into this secret little, you know, cone of silence. <laughs> yeah, I think right. you should continue doing that because people really do feel like they they they, they want to understand the dynamics so that they can feel like they're, they're friends with you and that they're a part of it. So I think that's cool. Were you in radio before you did this? No, no, oh. not at all. I wish, but you know, I I grew up in a little tiny town out in the middle of nowhere. I, there was a small little country radio station around, but they didn't need any help. I tried, <laughs> but um, no. You well, you have the voice for it. You could do it. Oh wow! Thank you, thank you. I'd love to, <clears throat> but uh, this is just so much fun. I I don't know. I guess I should probably oh, yeah. look into that, huh? 
This is more fun than radio. This is the new radio, as we exactly. think it's the future yeah. of radios. Radio that you can pause and come back to is what is what we've come to in really all forms of media. Is it's ready when you are. Exactly. Yeah. You can listen at your own pace. You can do your mm -hmm. own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wish the old Casey Kasem uh, top forty show would have been in that in that medium because I hated missing that show and then it was just <laughs> gone. You know. Yeah. Well, Weezy started her writing career writing for Rick Dees, who had a show very similar to that called The Weekly Top 40. Really? And she wrote that whole show, and that's still syndicated all over the world. And that's how she started her writing career. Right, Weezy? You don't yes. mind me writing? I started writing at a show called Pia Magazine. After, after I was a page, I got a job at a show called Pia Magazine. And because it was a local show local affiliate of kind of like a national franchise, but because it was local, I was writing and producing stories within a few months of being their secretary. So you can, you could move up pretty quickly at, in, in a local show and, and learn all, all facets of the business. And, and that's like, that's what got me into like documentary filmmaking. Cause PM magazine was like these little seven minute documentary films. Sure. And sure. I love that form of storytelling. We're going to take a break to jump to a quick commercial, but stick around. More with Fritz and Louise when we come back. Speaking of your documentaries, I wanted to touch on uh, Family Band, The Cow Sill Story. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of that era of music, and I, especially of television. The Partridge and the, the Brady Bunch, you know, loved them. And yeah. this documentary is about the, uh, the cow sills, which is the inspiration behind the Partridge family, but uh, essentially showing that their life wasn't all sunshine, lollipops and stuff like it was kind of just, you know, displayed on the Partridge family. And which I believe that this is also available to watch on Amazon Prime. Am I correct yes. about that? Yes. Cannot wait to watch this. But can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the documentary and what was your inspiration for uh, making it? Well, I was in radio and I knew nothing about making films other than the stories I produced at PM Magazine, but uh, I had been a fan of the cow sills and then they just disappeared. So, you know, you continue growing up, but you always wonder when, when you love something as a child, you always wonder, you know, what happened. And there was no internet where you could type whatever happened. <laughs> Fire up Wikipedia. <laughs> like you can yeah. now and get like a lot of spam or fake pictures of the person with breast implants but uh <laughs> like cindy brady really i don't think so marcia 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 but uh as soon as the internet you know as soon as you could yahoo something you know i mm -hmm. typed in the cow sills like wanted to know and sure enough there was a fan site and you know and you could um you know you could type in a guest book and i you know i just said kind of thank you for helping me grow up and I heard from a fan who said, oh, it looks like you're you're here in Southern California. Why don't you come to the pub and see Bob? Bob is one of the cow sills. And I remember thinking, I don't like that idea. It <laughs> sounds really like it could be anxiety provoking because I wanted everybody to be okay. And I, you know, I didn't want to see the cow sills just kind of sad. I you know, I wanted sure. them to remain, but so I, she said, no, you know, you'll like Bob. He, you know, he's very funny. And so I kind of put it off for three weeks. Like you do dental appointments. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do that in three weeks. And I can remember, uh, you know, driving up to this pub and, and I had to cross Ventura Boulevard because I parked on the street. And I just remember not wanting to get out of the car. I like you guys, I did not want to do this. Right. And I got out of the car and I went in there and this woman, Karen, I call her Karen with a C, uh, <laughs> but she found me <laughs> and there were, her name's Karen Oldfield. And, you know, it, if it weren't for her, none of this would have happened. So for sure, uh, she introduces me to everybody. And then I'm eating a baked potato with chili in it. And all of a sudden, Bob Cowsell sits down right next to me. So like, that's going to be the end of eating for this evening, you know, because... <laughs> I had interviewed thousands of celebrities by this point, but my childhood idol, that was something that was going to require, you know, me to um, remove my heart from the ceiling. Cause I, I just, right. that was, right. that, that was a big deal to me. And he starts talking like, Oh, you know, I, 
I read your message on the board and like, oh my God, you know, and then all of a sudden he's setting up his guitar and all of a sudden all his brothers and his sister start walking into the pub with their kids. And it was like all the posters on my wall had grown up and come to life and they were talking. And it turned out that I was there the night that Bob's youngest brother, John, was marrying one of the bangles and they had moved the wedding party into the bar. <laughs> oh man. You're seeing all of this phenomenal music from this close under a dartboard. And you're just going, what, what happened? Like, why aren't they the Bee Gees and the Beach Boys and all these other family sure. groups? You know, the Osmonds. So the other fans were telling me some some dark stuff about their dad. And I just thought, wow, there's, you know, there's some kind of story here to tell. And so I went home and I told my sisters about it, like, you guys, I met Bob Cowsill and and my birthday was like three weeks later. I said, for my birthday, let's all go back to the pub and let you guys can meet Bob. You can ask him, you know, where they lived and stuff. Cause when we were kids, when we when we visited California, we would drive around Santa Monica looking for the cow sale. So uh, <laughs> I I started and now here he is, you know. Right. He's like, no, no, you weren't you were on the wrong street. He's like telling my family, he's still talking to my mom, like you guys, you know, oh, you needed to just turn right and then left, and you would have been right there, but too bad. Uh, so, so I started asking him, like, has anybody wanted to do a documentary? And he's like, no, 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 you can't do it. It can't be done. It's too big of a story. Everyone has their own story and it's too complicated. And I, I kind of said, Bob, look around this pub. Every person in this pub doesn't have one story. They all have a thousand. Every person has a thousand documentaries. You just have to decide what story you're telling and then tell that story without getting sidetracked. Like it's it's a story like any other story. You pare it down, figure out what the beats are, and you tell the story. So anyway, long story short, eight years later, I had made a documentary about the Cow Sills. And, and I got to tell you, if, if you'll permit me just to brag about her a little bit. Go for it. Even if you're not a fan of... Uh, that era of music or the Kalsas, who incidentally sound as good today as they did. We've had them on this podcast a couple of times. Their harmonies are tight. They're they're an amazingly talented band and they're full of personality. And it's like yesterday they were on the Ed Sullivan show, right? Right. But the but the beauty of this documentary, why I was touched by it, I was not a huge fan of the Kalsals. I played their music on radio for many years, but this is a great story of this syndrome that we've become very aware of in music in the United States. Uh, for instance, the Jackson family, where everything looks squeaky clean and harmonious and everybody's happy and look at this family and God, they just hang around in glittery outfits and sing together around the dinner table. And it's so not true. There was so much darkness and so many bumps these guys had to uh, climb over and really irresponsible parenting and mm -hmm. lots of tragedy. And it's amazing. They even got where they did. And it's just a great family story. And it ends with a third act and I'm not going to give anything away, but you know, all I'll say is it has something to do with hurricane Katrina that will just make your head explode. It's really an interesting documentary about that era of American families and what, what seemed to show up on TV, but the reality behind the curtain. And it's it's a great piece of work. She worked really hard on it. I can't wait to watch it. It's relatable, I think, for, for all boomers, but maybe just all families, in that there's a certain image of your family that you project in your Christmas cards that's probably not, you know, what right. what is actually going on. We all do a, a bit of that at church, you know, walking in like we're fine and... uh. You know, but no, nobody's childhood is perfect. But, you know, in the case where it's just like exemplified because of the fame and because of the image, you know, you just feel like you're lying every day of your life. But you, your job is to maintain that lie. Right. And a lot of folks have to do that for one reason or another, whether or not mm -hmm. they're famous. Yeah. So was there a lot of kickback from them? Did you have to like really talk them into it? Or was it just that one conversation that night that let that changed Bob's mind? Like, OK, let's tell the story. Well, I I uh, I came back with my cousin Abby, who who was in the film industry. I think that Bob just grew to trust us. I think it was a relationship, and we 
he just had, he had, Bob has good instincts and he just had a, a good instinct about us. So he started talking to his siblings about it differently than he had other times that he'd been approached. And so it, from that point forward, like things were happening where around that time period, there was another cow sale fan who worked for the Boston Red Sox. And that season, the Boston Red Sox, like Johnny Damon and a lot of those guys had had long hair mm -hmm. that year. And they were playing. And because this guy, Charles Steinberg, loved the cow sales, he would play hair at the stadium. You know, the, all the fans, all the Boston fans that year got to know hair. And he'd play other cow sales songs and everything. And so he he came out to L.A., found Bob and singing in the pub and said, do you want to go? You guys, you guys are famous at Fenway. Would you want to come sing the national anthem? And oh, so they were yeah. going and I didn't have their permission yet. I didn't have anything signed, but they were going and the event was going to come and go whether I filmed it or not. So I took my guy, Ian Broyles, my, my um, videographer, and we just bought our own tickets in our own hotel rooms and we just went with them. And like from that moment on, you know, after we spent, it turned out to be like a couple of weeks because the first time we went out, the the um I think it was the Angels grand slammed it or something and there wasn't going to be like a fifth game i don't remember how baseball works exactly in the playoffs but there wasn't <laughs> we had to fly out there and be ready for a fifth game but like there wasn't a fifth game and then De or charles said come back next week because you will have you sing and then they made it into the next round he said you know everyone had obligations at home so we went home for three days and we went back but this time we stayed like right. We didn't go to Rhode Island. In the meantime, the cow sales took me to Rhode Island and showed me everywhere they had grown up and stuff. So we, we, Ian and I filmed a lot while we were there that first time. And Charles gave us a tour of Fenway when nobody was in the stadium. And the guys got to go down into the dugout and sign the wall. And, wow. the, you know, Bob and Paul are big Red Sox fans. So they were like over the moon about the whole thing. And then when we came back, we just stayed at the airport. We, we stayed at the Hilton at the airport. And then just went to Fenway. And this time, this was also historic because the Red Sox lost this game, but it was tied until like two o'clock in the morning. Wow. <laughs> and the score was like something crazy. You can look it up. I think it's 2005. And it turned out, and they were trying to break the curse of the Bambino. Mm -hmm. And they lost that game. And they were, and fans were calling it the curse of the cow sills and, you know, all these things. But what happened oh was, God. yeah, they were playing the Yankees. They were playing the Yankees. They lost oh, that, figures. they lost that game, like epically. It was like a 20 hour game. And then after that, the Red Sox never lost a game, including the World Series. Really? Won every game and won the, won, and broke the mm -hmm. curse of the Mabino and, um, you know, Babe Ruth and won the world series and they hadn't in i'm not good at baseball but like a number of years you are far better at baseball than i am i don't know anything <laughs> about it, to be honest other than you use stick to hit ball and then run yeah it's a great watch and then when she she went to the hotel room where the councils were staying in boston and interview and the family dynamic is so interesting because yes. everybody has their own perception of you know, the power dynamic in the family. She interviewed each person and then they would argue about a point and it was so real and it was just a real family engagement and it was all at their hotel. And then one time we had him on the podcast and uh, the uh, we, we caught him, they were performing it in Branson. Was it over the holiday or something, Wheezy? And yeah, we, they were doing like the Christmas show. five minutes show before they went on stage to sing. At the Andy Williams Theater, they were doing the Christmas show this year. Yeah. And they were all... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot going on that I was like learning as I was filming about there were the relationships. There was one kid that was kept out of that band, and he was Bob's twin brother. And Bob spent his whole adult life trying to make up for that and giving Dickie, a, you know, stuff to do and getting him on stage and and everything. And uh, you know, and he just didn't have the training that they did as musicians. So. It was, it, it, you know, it wasn't working out and it would make other people upset because they were trying to hit their note. And if Richard was standing next to them, that was going to be difficult because 
Richard would go, he, you know, he, he couldn't really hold on to his part. Like he just didn't have the training. And so that's what they were trying to figure out that night when they were rehearsing. Is it, if Richard stands there, should he just lip sync or should he not be there at all? And he wanted to be there. Like he, he just really was hungry for the, all of that attention that he never got as a kid. Mm. I cannot wait to watch this documentary. And you can watch the the video you're talking about, uh, you know, the pre preparation for the national anthem and the national anthem itself. Listeners can find that on your YouTube page. That's where I watched it. And uh, like Fritz said, it, it was a great watch, seeing the family dynamic, seeing all these grown adults, you know, while, while they're discussing their harmonies, like quickly jump to like they were five and 10 years old again. No, no, that's not how you do it. You know, it was so neat. <laughs> that's what happens. And I, I have a lot of uh, extra footage and backstage stuff on unused stuff on my YouTube channel. And like the one that you're talking about leads up to the national anthem, but doesn't include the national anthem because the only like decent sound of that national anthem is the property of Major League Baseball and Fox Television. Because oh. when you're down on the field, if you're recording them singing, you're hearing like a one and a, one and a half second delay of the sound coming coming off the back oh, wall. Oh, yeah. You know, they're wearing um, like ear earpieces so that they can focus on the sound they're making as it's coming out of their mouth and drown out that slap back. But what I was recording with with my with my uh, equipment was unusable sound it it will it will it will make you very anxious to hear music <laughs> that way so but but fox had the sound right into their mics mm. and i just don't have permission i don't have the rights to that that was the sound that came out of the television isn't my property I see. all i have is whatever I recorded, and that sounds unusable. Which is ridiculous because the Roseanne Barr butchering of the National Anthem <laughs> is shown every third week on television somewhere. Well, what you just have to realize is that uh, when you're, if you're down on the field while someone is singing the National Anthem, that's an issue that has to, that's why Charles told me, the guy from the, the Boston Red Sox, he said, most people do not sing the National Anthem live because it's so disconcerting to hear that slap mm -hmm. back of sound. Yeah. Right. And most of them just lip sync it. And the Cowsills were singing it live in four part harmony. Oh, wow. Crazy. That's, yeah, that's difficult, I would imagine. <laughs> Very mm -hmm. good. I cannot wait to watch that. Um, I'll put a link to it on, on the uh, information to this episode because it sounds interesting as hell. And again, watching that footage we were just speaking of, really, it's a great commercial to watch the, the uh, documentary. But. All right, guys. So thank you for uh, telling me about uh, your different avenues. But let's talk about Media Path Podcast. I was going to start by asking how you two first met, but Fritz, you kind of already uh, told us how you guys met and came to work together. So can you just jump straight into telling our listeners about Media Path Podcast? Go ahead, Reezy. We wanted to do a podcast where we could talk about all the things we love, which we, we love books and movies, especially documentaries, history, music. You know, we both have uh, like the kind of same sweet spots for what we like. So knowing that something works for our show, for the two of us, we, we pretty much know that when something is presented. And so we just like to open the show by recommending things that folks would enjoy. We don't review, we just recommend. So if we like it, we talk about it. And then we introduce our guest and usually our guest has their own media path of, you know, what they've been creating uh, throughout their lives. And so we just kind of get some backstage stories about about all of that if it's a person that's written a book you know we like to read the book right and uh be prepared because we we just consider it to, to be an honor to speak to authors and and ask them all the questions that come up when you're reading somebody's um somebody's work so th that's what we enjoy doing we call it media path because it, as i was discussing with you guys earlier everything's available to us so you know we've all gone down these rabbit holes where you know, it's four in the morning and we're still, you know, watching Jefferson Airplane uh, videos, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or whatever. And then that leads you to like whatever influenced them. And then right. by morning, you're pretty well educated, but you're but you have not had any sleep. So <laughs> we love to sort of like present people with if you like if you're interested in Watergate and you've watched this, you should probably also read this and then watch this and you know, there's a lot of over, overlapping content okay. that's just like okay. instantly available. Like, for example, if we were talking to Allison Arngrim from Little House on the Nellie Prairie. Nellie Olson, yes. She played Nellie. Yeah. Any episode that she discusses in her book, you can put down the book and go to your TV and find exactly what she's talking about. And that wasn't always available to us. Right. 
than it is now. And it's exciting. Have you guys had any standout guests or any like real surreal moments during the show that kind of pop into mind? Yeah, because you guys, you've had some amazing guests. Dee Williams, Henry Winkler, Mindy Sterling, uh, Vicki Lawrence. Holy hell. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, everyone has has a light and it's it's so it's such an honor to just spend an hour with somebody just kind of like really getting to know their personality and and for Fritz and I especially if it's someone that you grew up watching like Vicky Lawrence and you know to be able to have a conversation with with her your you know your 12 year old self is just screaming <laughs> yep because you know that was someone that you just never imagined yourself speaking with and so it's there's been lots of definitely surreal moments it's like you know, one after the other, like, you know, Fritz is a big, is a big blues fan. And he, you know, we talked to Felix Cavieri from, from the Rask, from the Rascals. And for me, we talked to Christopher Knight from the Brady Bunch. Oh, <laughs> like, man. like, oh, I, I guess I know Peter Brady now. Like my life is kind of awesome. Rub it in. You know? and, that, <laughs> and that, and that for me, uh, she brings up a great example of the, fun for me on this podcast, which is I love talking to people where, you know, Peter Brady gave you a different concept of what Christopher Knight was in real life. You make up your own fantasy about that. And then you talk to them and find out these guys are brilliant on like four levels. He's a computer genius and started a computer company. And I love discovering those things, things that you didn't know about uh, one particular person and find out that they're quite accomplished in a number of areas. And it's not just this thing they did when they were kids. Right. It's that that's the fun for me. It's kind of peeling back those layers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've had so many moments like this on that. Shit. Yeah, we definitely have. Um, like, like you were saying, getting to meet those people you've been watching for years and then that, you know, you're trying to stay composed and sound, you know, professional, but the inside on the inside, that 12 year old is like kicking and screaming and, being mm -hmm. excited. How cool, though. Um, I, I was going to ask, but I think you may have already answered this. As far as when it comes to picking your guests, how you go about it. But it sounds like it's just people you've liked, people you, that have inspired you, people's work you like that you go after. Or is it more complicated than that? Are there parameters around who you can and can't ask? Uh, there, there's no parameters. We're, you know, we're, we're probably booking more people that reach out to us than people that we reach out to. At, at this point, because uh, we, you know, we've developed relationships with some of the publicists. Right. And right. so folks will hire a publicist for a, like a limited period of time when they're when they're launching something. So and we're on the list of places that, that you know, they should go to talk to uh, to talk about their their new their new project. And so usually we're just kind of like emailing back and forth, like, would this be a good fit? Do you, what do you think of this? And uh, things like that. Like we, um, we got to talk to Melanie. Her, her real name is Melanie Safka, but she went by Melanie. She had hit records in the seventies, and you know she was like one of my sister's favorite artists when we were growing up. So I just kind of like mentioned to my sister, "Oh, you know Melanie's gonna be here on Zoom. Do you want to come over?" And I, I was thinking like, eh, you know, that she'd be like, eh, you know, it's Zoom, that's okay. And my sister was like in her car, you know, on her way, <laughs> like, you know, the idea that, that she could say something to Melanie, it just kind of, it makes you feel like you're valid, I guess, in, in a type of way that validates the 14 year old that you were, yeah. you know, like, Hey, you know, you, you could talk to anybody, like you're cool. You could talk to anybody like those. That's the thing about talking to people and realizing that we're all people and everybody needs to be validated and everybody needs to be reassured and everybody needs to feel like they're a part of a community. And, you know, when you're, when you're blessed with an opportunity to talk to somebody that you only experience their, their work as a child, but now as a grown up, you get to have a conversation and, you know, it just kind of like reminds us all that we're all just in this human family together. Yeah. And it's it's taking that fandom to a next level. I think about that all the time yeah. where, you know, we've mm -hmm. 
I grew up watching all these movies and uh, cartoons and all the voices and the people drawing and you know doing uh, uh, you know producing all of it behind the scenes that you never think about as a child. And then when you get older, it's an, it's a way to still enjoy it. It's like it's like reaching into the television and pulling everyone from behind the curtain and getting to find out how it's made. It's just it's it never stops being rewarding for us. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, we got to talk to Marty Croft. Oh, wow. And, he, you know, he just had so much to share about his, the creativity of him and his brother. Like, because it was it was pretty like we just sort of accepted it as kids, but it was pretty out there. You know, these guys <laughs> yeah. were coming up. With, Understatement. Know? But, yeah, that, it was out there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it just all starts with imagination and just having, you know, having a dream and then and going after it like you guys you have your own show now right you know because you decided to do it it's a lot of work as you know but you know we can do anything that we decide to do as long as we, you know we can figure out a plan to make it work within our schedules so are there any guests that you guys haven't had yet like dream guests that either of you would love to get booked on the show that would make that 12 year old inside of you like giddy again for me, it would be Barry Gibb. Oh, wow. That would I'm be sure cool. sure Fritz has one. <laughs> sure Fritz has one. Aristotle. Aristotle. <laughs> wow. No, I, 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 you know what? <clears throat> it doesn't have to be anybody famous. It just has to be somebody interesting. Right. Weezy mentioned before I'm into blues music. So this Tuesday, there's a documentary out called Born in Chicago, which is about the Chicago blues and early rock and roll scene. You know, Chess Records was in Chicago. All the older blues masters, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Little Walter, uh, the Rolling Stones recorded wow. an album there because they wanted to get that blues vibe. And so we have a guy, we have a, a team of guys coming on who are making a documentary about that period of music. And I can't wait to talk to these guys. So it doesn't have to be something uh, tremendously famous, but I just happen to be interested in that area. And I'm really looking forward to it. Sure. You said that's next week? Yeah, yes. we record on Tuesday and the show drops on Thursday. Okay. We we uh we had the uh, you guys are probably too young to appreciate the band Blood Sweat and Tears. You know who Blood Sweat yeah, and Tears I know who is? They are. Yeah. So we had uh uh Bobby Columby, who was the drummer for Blood Sweat and Tears on, and a documentarian that made the made a documentary about them. And I even though I'm a music fan and I was in radio, as was Wheezy, we didn't know the story behind these guys were sent by the defense department or somebody to go over behind the iron curtain be the first rock band that ever entertained people from communist countries and we had the makers of that on it was fantastic it was and i this happened you know when i was a kid uh, there's no reason why i shouldn't have known it but i didn't and it was that's the kind of stuff i like that's awesome Wow. You said that one. Yeah, you learning, asked me learning. what i like i don't i don't i don't know what the question was but I <laughs> you answered it perfectly learning Learning something new is and and always overlapping history. I I love that when the history that you're learning overlaps and that you know you heard a little bit about this earlier and now this story also yeah yeah uh, it factors in and then the more you learn the more you want to know about whatever it is that's gone on. <laughs> you know I'm just fascinated exactly. by it. Yeah, and exactly. and that knowledge that you keep getting, you know, after talking to all these different people keeps playing into the next interviews like you were saying, all the overlapping knowledge that just makes everything click and makes for an even better conversation most of the time than you were anticipating. Does that make sense? Yeah. It yeah. makes sense in in that we probably should have named our show Media Intersection. <laughs> but you know, that's how much sense it makes. <laughs> Now, uh, some podcasts uh, like to do live performances. I know we've dabbled in it before, but we haven't uh, done much of it in a little Not while. A while. But no. what about you guys? Do you see MediaPath being a show that uh, you guys would ever consider doing live? Of course. That sounds like a great idea. Absolutely. I mean, we're here in Los Angeles, so I know we could, you know, we could put something together where it's easy. She has a beautiful podcasting studio, a four-station podcasting studio. The problem is you could have maybe a, a, an acoustic guitarist in there. But it'd be fun. You know what I'd love to do? And I never even said this too easy. I'd love to go to like a film festival oh. and just sit and talk to people to create new films and do the show, record the show there, or even a couple of shows and get the famous people who are there promoting some new interesting piece of work. That would be fun for yeah. me. Yeah, it's, it's a really great idea and something that we never thought of since the, you know, the heart of our early years was during the pandemic where something like that wasn't imaginable. But now those are, the you know, doing a live show in a theater, 
are those are the types of plans that we can now start thinking about. It, it that would be amazing. Yeah. I'm so jealous of podcasters uh, who are like in and around Los Angeles. Cause like we said, before we started this, we told you we're in, in Columbus. So, you know, we have to do everything on zoom. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with zoom. I love zoom and the opportunities it's afforded us, but um, yeah. you know, being able to on occasion actually meet up, talk to these people in the flesh, I think would be pretty cool too, especially if you, you know, doing a live show to have someone yeah. come out, that'd be pretty amazing. But yeah, I agree. Anyway, I'm just talking. I guess that wasn't a question. <laughs> just dreaming. <laughs> it's okay. No problem. But I want to thank. We had the same dream. Yes, that's the truth. That's the truth. And I want to thank you guys for being here. Your show can be found on all uh, podcast players and just mediapathpodcast.com, correct? Right. Exactly. And then uh, each of you, Fritz, FritzColemanComedy.com and Louise, uh, right. Pe Pal I always mess up on saying your na last name, Palanker. LouisePalanker.com. Sorry, I'll put the link on so I don't have to spell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but is there anywhere else I should be advising people to check you guys out? I think that pretty our social, well Run through our social. Oh, we at, uh, oh, at Real we, Fritz Coleman, at, oh, there you go. You at got Louise Palanker, <laughs> and at Media Path Pod, unless there's another one that I forgot. Nope. Uh, Facebook is I Facebook well, on YouTube. You know, we're at Media, we're at Media Path Podcast on YouTube. And if you want to uh, see who we're talking to and what we're talking about, we add a lot of visual elements to our to the YouTube version of our show. Yes. And I was taking advantage of them uh, last night. A lot of cool stuff on there. Uh -huh. I liked your conversation with Henry Winkler, too. That was really good. It was really good. He's one of our faves. He yeah. deserves a Lucite plaque for being the nicest man in show business. Really? Yeah. This is why we have a Fonzie votive candle in our studio on our desk. <laughs> <laughs> That's an honor, I'm sure. <laughs> Fritz, Louise, thank you guys so much for taking time to be it here. Awesome. You have it a great a show. To you guys. Thank you for having us Make on. great content. And uh, again, appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you. Keep up the good work, fellas. Nice talking thank to you. you. Thank you. All right, everyone. And once again, that was our conversation with Fritz Coleman and Louise Palanker of the Media Path podcast. Damn, that was so much fun. <laughs> we say this every time, but it's just it's so interesting hearing, you know, backstories and like talking about the freaking comedy club that, you know, the comedy store, yeah. the comedy store. Yeah, it just in the early days of like podcasting and just mm -hmm. all this shit. It's just it's crazy to hear sometimes. Yeah, I mean, super interesting stuff. I was on the edge of my seat, and if you're watching the video version of this, you can probably tell. <laughs> my mouth, I think, fell open a few times just because it was so interesting to listen to. I think, like I said in the interview, you know, we've been doing this since 2013, and we feel like we... Well, uh, you. <laughs> ...are kind of like, you know, well, we, we've been there for a long time, yeah. sonny boy. Yeah. But I think we've only... Back in my day. We've only ever met one other person... Uh, I think Mick Manhattan has done it a year or two longer than we have, yeah. but 2005, that's ground floor. Yeah, that's... Man. Like yeah. you said, pioneer. 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 Incredible. So big thanks to Fritz and Louise once again. I want to remind everyone to check them out. Uh, FritzColemanComedy.com, LouisePalanker.com, and MediaPathPodcast.com, which can also be found on all, all podcast players of choice. And uh, their social media is once again at Real Fritz Coleman, at Louise Palanker, and at Media Path Pod. And as you know, we've got to get our social medias out there too. Find us on Twitter at CandairPod, on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at CandairPodcast. And CandairPodcast.com. You go there, you can show us some support by going to our merch tab. T-shirts, mugs, stickers, hoodies, hats, all kinds of stuff with our logo on it that you can get and show the... Uh, Show the show some support. That doesn't roll off the tongue well. <laughs> they, <laughs> get the, they, get, they get the point. Right. <laughs> Did it? Give That's the show fun. some support. And on patreon.com uh, forward slash CandarePod, you can get extra content that the normies aren't getting for 5 to $10 a month. So check those things out, Randy. And shit, head to uh, CandarePodcast.com where you can see all those links, see past episodes, see the growing list of special guests we've had on. And uh, if you're an yeah. artist or content creator and want to be on the show, send us a message on our contacts page. Please do. That's why it's there. Excellent. Yeah. yeah Put absolutely. it to use. Put it to use, please, people. Please, please, please. We love hearing from you. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other. Thank you.
a dog. Hi, puppy. Nice puppy. Oh, no. Don't run. It'll only make things worse. Mutt. Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Canned Air production. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.